This is Gotham TV Podcast episode 121 about Gotham A Dark Knight season 4 episode 16 one of my three soups. <laughs> This is Drew Powell, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. This is Robin Lloyd Taylor, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. I'm David Mazuz, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Welcome back, fellow detectives. Welcome back, Gothamites, to Gotham TV Podcast episode 121, where we are looking at one of my three soups, Heinz, Campbell's, and Canoe. Yes, this <laughs> is episode 16 of season four of Gotham. Uh, well, not one of my three soups, which would probably be chicken, broccoli, and cheese, and then probably minestrone. Oh, right. Okay. Clam chowder, actually. Give good old clam chowder. Yeah. Very good. I'd probably go for some tomato soup in there as well, maybe mushroom soup. Uh, I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. Welcome back, Gothamites. Sorry for being a little bit delayed, but a very happy Easter to anybody that celebrates it. Hope you enjoyed it. Got filled up on eggs while waiting for our podcast to come out. Uh, we had a little bit of a delay. Did you have a good Easter, John? Yes, I did. It was good fun. Lots of chocolate, lots mm-hmm. of Easter eggs, lots of lammykins. Um, yes, had a really good, good time. Yes, apologies for the delay. Gothamites, um, we had family and friends uh, visiting. So, yes, uh, we are now here recording episode 16 of Gotham. And an interesting title with one of my three soups, because obviously there were three bowls of soup in this. Mm-hmm. But it also, I suppose, metaphorically speaking, speaks to Arkham's finest, as it was tagged in the official synopsis yeah. of this episode of Gotham. Jervis Tetch. The Scarecrow, and of course, Jerome Velasca. So the big three are in this episode, and they have escaped from Arkham. So yes, spoiler alert, everyone. Um, <laughs> usually do that before. I do, about. normally, yes. <laughs> but spoiler alert, indeed, this will be a spoiler-filled review and discussion of this episode of Gotham. Mm. Yes, as always, if you want to find out anything about the podcast, just pop on over to GothamTVPodcast.com. There's loads of subscribe links over there where you can subscribe to the podcast on any good or evil podcast catcher. Come and join us over our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash GothamTVPodcast as we get into the second half of this half of the season. Uh, not many episodes left now, John. Just six episodes left. I know. Um, I'm really kind of wishing there were more, to be honest, because this has been... A fine season four of Gotham. Mm-hmm. And speaking of season four, we have, just as a reminder, we always like to just do a little reminder now and then of our line, scene, person, character of the week competition for this yeah. season. Please send in your thoughts uh, so that we can discuss them live on the podcast. And of course, we will have our big final draw at the end of season four of Gotham. Yes. Where you will be in with a chance if you are pulled from the hat of chance to be in with a chance of winning the the prize, which is a figurine of 
Oswald Cobblepot. Yes, yes, looking forward to that. That's being released in June, so it'll be out a little bit after our podcast finishes up, but we'll make sure that our winner gets it uh, during the summertime after Gotham Season 4 has finished. A little bit of feedback that came in over on Twitter that I just thought was lovely, so I thought I'd pick it up uh, from Teresa Z Photos on Twitter. says, my first podcast last week, and it's about the best episode of Gotham of the season. Fun podcast. Looking forward to the next one. Love the Detective Comics from 1938 in the opening scene. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you so much, Teresa. It's so good that you have come on board and joined Gotham TV Podcast. Yes, Absolutely. thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, tell your friends. Never too late to join the podcast. We've got 120 episodes talking all about Gotham since way before Gotham even started. In fact, I think since before some of the main cast was actually cast in the show. <laughs> yes, indeed. And of course, as always, um, share the love, share the podcast to friends, family, relatives, uh, and who else you would like to share Gotham TV podcast? The longest running podcast all about Gotham. But I think with that, on to our spoiler-filled review. Derek, but what are some of the episode details for one of my three soups? Well, the episode was directed by Ben McKenzie, his second directorial job on Gotham, and he's also had a writing credit previously on the show, in case you weren't aware of it. Um, Some great moments in this episode. I'm not going to spoil your future rating, John, but he has a lot to live up to. His, uh, his previous episode that he wrote got a 5 out of 5 from you, and his episode that he directed got a 5 out of 5 for you. I wonder, can he keep the streak up? I wonder. Keep tuned, listeners, mm-hmm. to the end of this review. Yes. And the episode was written by Charlie Houston, who wrote episode 8 of this season, the one that I love saying out loud. Stop hitting yourself, John. Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> what did they give us, John? you want to tell us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Tetch, Jerome, Scarecrow, and the rest of the inmates in the asylum escape into Gotham. As Jim and Harvey respond to the breakout, Jervis Tetch gives them a run for their money, hypnotizing hundreds of Gotham citizens to stand on rooftops. At the strike of 12, they fly. Meanwhile, Bruce, with help from Selena, devises his own strategy to thwart Jerome and bring him back into custody. Bruce tracks him to his Uncle Zack's diner, but his intervention allows Jerome to escape once again, and this time with valuable information about an unknown person at the school of St. Ignatius. As Gotham goes to rack and ruin, Barbara finally discovers her calling, and the events of her resurrection at the hands of Rish al Ghul. She is the demon's head, and she will command the Lead of Shadows. As the hour nears midnight, Jim realises Tetch's deception as he has programmed his victims to jump as the clock strikes 12, or if they are told not to. But Jim manages to apprehend Tetch at WZPZ radio station and finds a loophole saving the intended victims, including Harvey Bullock. However, on his return journey to Arkham, Tetch is rescued by Scarecrow and Jerome, as it is revealed that another sleight of hand was deployed on Gotham by the evil Trinity. Excellent. Lots and lots of stuff going on in this episode. I'm still not too sure whether the call sign for radio station works too well in our European mouths. The WZPZ turned into WZPZ. It doesn't sound as showy as it does in the US. I should have said WZPZ. It does trip off the tongue much better than WZPZ, (laughs) I think. It just kind of drops a little bit when you've got a European voice towards it. It's like whether you use a soup spoon or a normal dessert spoon to have your soup. (laughs) It's always a soup spoon. Nice, nice. 
nice catch there, John. Uh, what is it? <laughs> let's get into our case notes for the episode. We got to start out right at the start in the escape from Gotham. As John mentioned, we did have friends and family over with us this weekend, and they, luckily enough, watched this episode of, of Gotham with us. Uh, a shocking opening to the episode, um, which led to a bit of a shout out of, oh my God, is this how serious and violent Gotham's getting? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was the domino effect from Tetch to Scarecrow to Jerome with guards being slit open left, right and center, mm-hmm. including uh, the guard who has, interestingly and intelligently, has put on her Sony Walkman I did think of Guardians of the Galaxy at this moment where she has her orange headset on, her Sony Walkman playing, singing along to the tune as she walks down the corridor uh, with the guards looking at her as she moves into Tetch's cell so she she cannot be uh, hypnotized by him through his... Dulcet sounding tones. <laughs> it was fabulous, wasn't it? I love that moment as he's mouthing these words that she can't hear and then goes, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the person behind you. Uh, very brutal kill at the opening of the episode, but a nice way to reintroduce Jervis Tetch. We've seen him in the background of quite a few episodes in the past season. He hasn't had a big moment really in the, in the last little while. So he's been kind of hiding out in, uh, in Arkham. To be honest, I wasn't sure whether he was back in Arkham, which speaks to the other major character here. We knew that Scarecrow had gone on the loose after his last attack, where he was forced to do the will of the of the attackers, of his uh, former friends of his father's, I think they were, uh, who knew all about him and had forced him uh, on the city of Gotham. And then he just disappeared into the night, effectively. But it looks like he's been brought back to Arkham by the GCPD in an, another adventure that we didn't get to see. Yes. Interestingly as well, the tune being played through the... The headphones of the guard was Fool for You by Alice Smith. Mm -hmm. And she was a fool because, yes, as you quite rightly say, Derek, she was not being talked to by Tetch, but he was talking to Tortuga, who then kills her and allows all this domino effect of escaped inmates and, in particular, the big three Scarecrow, who's brewing up in the loo, uh, a Uh particular potion. Is it his fear gas? Possibly. I think that's what he used to break the lock to let Jerome out, wasn't it? It was a little, ah, some was explosives. That yes. he was, uh, and I'd love to know how he got uh, access to those chemicals. And then finally, Jerome, who basically tells Tetch that he should ditch the weirdo. Um, she's giving him the heebie-jeebies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, Tortuga, you did well, but no cigar. Unfortunately, she kills herself. Yes. Again, yes. more blood, more gore. And that is part of the reason why we absolutely love Gotham. There are no prisoners. At all before the opening yeah. credits. It's Literally great. no prisoners, actually, in, in Arkham Asylum. <laughs> that is true. They're getting they're getting them back, though. It's good. Uh, I love the touch that they have Tetch still with his paper hat, his paper version of the Mad Hatter's hat on his head. He has the 10-6 um, price sign on the side of his hat. And as you probably noticed, we talked about it last time we saw him on screen, the number for... Um, Jervis Tetch in Arkham Asylum is 106. It's C106, and he has that is the price that's on his hat in the, in the Mad Hatter costume. So, uh, some nice little touches there to keep him going with that costume from the comic books. 
One thing I did like here as well was just the fact that, the, you know, we've got here three really big characters from the Gotham universe uh, all teaming up. And I, but I did like the nod to the fact, you know, we have time to double cross one, one another um, at a later point. But yes. at the moment, you know, we need to keep together. And I, I really like that notion that they, they brought in here because, yes, it is not normally this um, happy altogether mm-hmm. that uh, was characterized by these three villains coming together to extract their revenge on Gotham, on Arkham Asylum, on Jim Gordon in particular, mm-hmm. on maybe Bruce Wayne. You know, there's a lot of motives here uh, being put into the mix from these three, and it, it's all coming together here uh, in this episode of, of Gotham. But I think with that, case note two, the wedding crasher. <laughs> to whom the wrecking ball tolls. I just had to call it this. Had to call it the wedding crasher. Um, this is quite interesting. This idea that Jim walks up, sees Tetch in the streets, has the two, the couple sitting underneath the wrecking ball. Wow, I'm not sure if Miley Cyrus had this in mind uh, when she sang her <laughs> world famous song. Um, but it's a nice little touch because one of the first times that uh, Tetch was um, at Jim Gordon was when he had set up a whole plan where you had a wedding couple standing on the top of a bridge and a young boy standing in front uh, of a van and he gave Jim the choice as to whether to save the couple or whether to save the child. Uh, That was back in uh, Follow the White Rabbit back in uh, episode six of season three um, where he gives them that choice as to which to save and it is the married couple that plunge to their deaths as Jim saves the young boy. Uh, Once again here, as Jim is put in front of this married couple, he wonders what the choices that that Jervis is giving to him, and is told this time there are no choices, Jim. You don't get to be the one that saves that saves them. Uh, I loved the commentary online that I saw about the last episode about uh, Follow the White Rabbit, where it was saying. Is this a representation of Jim because he's a person that's afraid of commitment, that married people keep dying around him? He's had a lot of bad experiences in churches with Barbara Barbara Keane dressed up in her wedding dress, pointing a gun at him. He's killed a man on his wedding day. <laughs> um, is this all a big a big allegory for how Jim is afraid of commitment? Is that what a lot of Gotham is being over time? I think it might be. <laughs> I have to say, I wonder truly if Gotham is getting to me because... Seeing the wedding crasher wrecking ball literally just fall on top of them, I was like going, oh my God, they actually did that. But then I slightly burst into uh, fits of giggles when seeing like the legs sticking out and and the bride dress and the bridegroom just kind of still underneath her with the blood up the, the wrecking ball. So, yes, I wonder... Is Gotham changing me? Um, My morbid sense of humour really is um, being given a good run for its money from Gotham. And I must say, I really, really like it, I have to say. (laughs) Um, I also kind of like the idea uh, that Tetch called Harvey Bullock uh, a rusty caboose in tow as well. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was really good. And to be honest, though, here, I definitely thought that, you know, this was still all about revenge for Alice. You know, it mm-hmm. still raged through Tetch, and here we were getting this set up for Jim. So for Tetch to really just drop the ball on this couple, this newly <laughs> uh, married couple, you know, they certainly didn't make their first anniversary. Uh, maybe oh. they didn't even make their first hour of marriage. Yeah. Uh, but certainly, um, I-, I really did think that the three big uh, villains kind of were going their separate ways here. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and of course, we will come to that um, a bit later in uh, in the podcast. Yeah, it does really feel like a personal vendetta between Mad Hatter and Jim. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that that for all of the villains that are in Gotham, there doesn't seem to be anybody that has that real personal relationship with Jim. I know, obviously, we have Oswald Cobblepot calling him old friend all the time, but it feels like Tetch is out to get Jim Gordon at all times. It seems like he's his perfect nemesis, as opposed to all of the other villains that are in the city. Jim takes them down, and they will come back in future to be a nemesis for Bruce Wayne, probably. But it feels like Jervis Tetch is purpose built as being someone that goes after Jim and Jim. And there's a real reason for it. You know, so I love seeing these two characters interact in the show. It's really, really good to see them. And he seems to just really twist the knife in Jim, especially as we see Harvey is the one that has to save the day and take that big moment where he puts himself in harm's way and sacrifices himself in order for Jim to save the day here. Yeah, because it, it, it pans back here from from this immediate wrecking ball um, incident with, with the wedding couple. Um, and it becomes a bigger thing, uh, really, where, you know, we see that he has hypnotised a load of Gotham citizens here. Mm-hmm. You know, that these these citizens will become flyers and then they will become dyers and will become splatters, I think he says. <laughs> and it's just that it becomes so much bigger. And again, Tetch isn't giving Jim a choice as to uh, how he could even save these people. And we have Harvey then listening to WZPZ radio. He's flicking through all the radio channels to see which one had broadcast the hypnotic tones of Jervis Tetch. It's funny because until the radio thing, I was thinking, you know, how did he hypnotize all these people? And I was wondering whether it was something to do with Crane that maybe instead of some kind of fear toxin, he had done another toxin that he'd released, which meant that they were suggestive uh, in greater numbers to Jervis Tetch. Right. I think also one final thing that we do have to pick out here, and that is the birdie song after um, Tetch has driven off the newlywed couple are no more lying underneath the the wrecking ball and all the heavies that Tetch has hypnotized and who eventually go up into the building as well to to essentially walk off at the stroke of midnight. They suddenly release Harvey and Jim because they've been there to really protect Tetch and start clucking. Yes. I really like the chicken element that Gotham brings <laughs> to um, the show. Uh, there really is a love of uh, hens, chickens, and cockerels in this show. And I, I just thought that was hilarious. Um, it was totally weird and totally kooky. And totally Gotham. And totally Gotham, yeah. In it fact, it as, was so good. In fact, as Enigma would say, that is so Gotham. The writers know that we are all looking out for the chickens as they've uh, appeared in every season since the start. The last time we saw chickens in the show, one was being held in Bruce Wayne's dream by Harvey Bullock. So, uh, so he gets the chicken line in this episode. Uh, really, really good stuff. Really enjoyed this. But also love the fact that we're seeing Harvey Bullock and Jim Gordon working together uh, in the show that come back together again after uh, Jim's incident last episode. Definitely Nice to see Harvey again repeating to Jim that when he's standing in front of the GCPD, they need the strong Jim Gordon, even though Jim doesn't feel like their real leader. He feels like a different person now. All that stuff that he was spouting in the past about being the real knight that Gotham needs, he doesn't feel like he can stand up to that anymore because of what he did with 
Professor Pig and the fact that he was involved in the whole situation and none of them know about it. So really nice that we see Harvey and, and, and Jim having that complicated relationship again. I think it's a really nice evolution of these two characters. You know, we have the moment where they're sharing a whiskey towards the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, really were Jim is saying, I underestimated you. I had so many preconceptions about you uh, when he's speaking to Harvey. I thought I knew you. And I'm beginning to find, you know, with the heroism that Harvey Bullock made uh, and put himself in jeopardy, that Jim realizes there's more to this, this, this lovable if slightly corrupt and slightly uh, morally ambiguous cop than meets the eye, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And Harvey says here, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And I, I really like this um, aspect of, of Harvey's character. You know, we know he was involved with Fish Mooney. Mm-hmm. We know he's done things that he's not liked to do and he's had to swallow his pride. He's made poor decisions. He's a drinker. He's a pepto-bismol addict you know but also he will try and save people and and i like harvey saying you know he could only do these crazy things because he knows that jim is there and jim is always out to protect and ultimately from his personal point of view that he knew jim would try and save him yes yeah absolutely um the touch here where jim actually finds a way to save the members of gotham it's almost like this could be the tagline for what the city of Gotham needs to do. This idea of save each other as Jim speaks that out over the microphones, which is broadcast to the city and gets the people to stop each other from jumping off the buildings. It does feel like if the citizens of Gotham would work together more often, they wouldn't have the horrible time that they have where everybody is left to their own devices and the villains come in and break them all apart and, and create what we see in Gotham. So I really like this idea that that's, what, that's where Jim goes to save each other, not just yourself, is kind of the, the concept that comes in from Jim. Really nice touch from the writer here. Yeah, a really good workaround to that impossible situation that Tetch seemingly has put Jim in that they will jump from the buildings on the strike of 12 or that the next person's voice who tries to talk them off the edge of the building to save themselves, that they will jump as well. Yeah, yeah, really nice touches. Good stuff. That's probably the main portion of the episode, but loads of other stuff going on. Let's go on to our next case note. Yeah, Bruce and Selena team up. I really, really enjoyed this. So good. Um, Really good to see Bruce leaning on Selena here. And also Selena giving him a bit of reality in terms of his ego. I, I just thought it was so nicely played because, I mean, in effect, as we co- as we will come to with Case Note 4, you know, Bruce, actually, what he's trying to do is recapture Jerome. He knows that Jerome Valeska has escaped from Arkham. They have this really shared history from the previous season. Bruce feels personally responsible it feels it's his own duty to go and capture jerome valeska Mm -hmm. and bring him back to arkham or to the gcpd and i really like the fact that selena is constantly saying you have to remember that you're not responsible for everything i love the moment where she says make sure you're not too responsible because otherwise that will get you killed and she's the dose of reality as well here i think because Ultimately, Bruce's intervention has the absolute opposite effect of what he intended. In some ways, if he had let Uncle Zack 
uh, Jerome's uncle to effectively kill him, mm -hmm. there would be no Jerome Valeska. And instead, Uncle Zach gets killed. There is a casualty here. Yeah. And Jerome manages to escape the diner that he's in. So I think there is guidance here from Selena in the same way that Alfred has provided him guidance as well. Mm -hmm. And in this case, Selena is really teaching him the street. She's saying that, you know, just step back sometimes because actually um, he would get more achieved than what he's doing at the moment. Yeah, I do love that this is Selena's character. She's never one to sit back and not tell Bruce what she thinks of him and give her her piece of advice for him. Um, there is a great moment in this in this early scenes when we have the two of them go into the GCPD to go into Jim Gordon's office to get the file on Jerome Velasco to find out can they possibly save him without the GCPD or in addition to the GCPD. And we see... Officer Harper arrive at the outside of the office and Bruce has to divert her attention so that she can't see Selena inside. I love that that Bruce is building on the lessons that he learned from um, from Alfred last season where he has to play a part and play a role. And we see him play three different versions of Bruce Wayne here. We see him play the arrogant Bruce Wayne where he's going, I know Jerome Velasco broke out of Arkham Asylum to come after me. And Harper's kind of gone, uh, don't kid yourself kid <laughs> yeah. he's got a lot more on his plate than just you and then when that doesn't work he changes to the rich bruce wayne where he go where he's going is it money that you want and tries to bribe her which gets her back up and then he turns into the whining billionaire bruce wayne who says he's afraid he's scared and starts to put on the waterworks just to distract her this isn't really his thoughts obviously but i like that he goes through those different versions of the character that we've seen build over the last two seasons yeah it's really nice iteration of this same character mm. and it sees the evolution of bruce really deploying his knowledge uh, in gotham and, and it, it's really nice and at the same time though i like the fact that in effect, he's still got so much to learn about the streets of Gotham. And I think that's what Selina introduces here. Yep. And that's why their team-ups, I think, are so important. You know, she's been on the street all her life. She has absolutely been a survivor. Uh, she's been canny. And she is also trying to impart a bit of that streetwise cred onto Bruce Wayne so that he understands the streets he understands how villains operate, which will be another string to that bow of him becoming Batman. Exactly, exactly. Can't finish up this point on Bruce and Selina without talking about that moment in the car just after she talks about Bruce's ego being huge. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a little homage, will we say, to, uh, to Spider-Man Homecoming? I think there's a lot of Marvel references, and by a lot I mean two, yeah. in this um, episode of Gotham. And definitely, there is the Tony Stark moment with Peter Parker from Spider-Man Homecoming. It looks as though Bruce is about to kiss Selina, mm -hmm. he's reaching across over her, and then he opens up the car door to effectively let her out. And she, she lets out a good old sarcastic laugh here, yeah. and, and a bit of a sigh at the same time. And it, it does mirror that moment where uh, Tony Stark is reaching across Peter Parker, seemingly to sort of give him a hug, tell him well done, but opens the door and asks him to, to get out the car because yeah. they're about to move on and go separate ways. And in this moment, in the episode in Gotham, then you have Selina and Bruce separating together as Bruce goes after Jerome on his own. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's go on to case note number four. 
Goldy Jerome and the Three Bears, would we call this one? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm not too sure why the three bowls of soup were there. I, I I see that it links in with the episode title, but did his uncle put them there at gunpoint? Or did he just serve up three bowls of soup to Jerome? His uncle calls out the fact that Jerome hasn't noticed why there would be three bowls of soup there. So I think Jerome must have arrived and was looking for food from his uncle and his uncle served three bowls of soup instead of two. Um, And that's where the point comes later on. Did you not notice that we have another guest here? The strong man from the circus, I think think he calls him Lunk, um, who has arrived to beat holy hell out of Jerome Velasca, basically. So uh, so that's the reason for the three bowls. Yeah, eventually you get the reason. But ultimately, I was wondering, why did he put three bowls of soup out there? Was it at gunpoint? Was he suggesting he eat the three bowls of soup whilst at gunpoint? Were the three bowls of soup already there? But nonetheless, yeah, we realise that actually, even though it looks as though there are just uh, Jerome and Zach in the diner, there is a third person as well. And indeed, one of the soups is getting a little cold for Zach's liking, and so heats up uh, in a really dodgy microwave, actually, (laughs) um, heats up the bowl of soup because we learned that actually Zach, his uncle Zach, used to also batter and, and abuse Jerome as a kid by putting his hands into boiling chicken stock. It's a really interesting one, isn't it? They seem to be taking pains here to make Jerome a little bit more sympathetic than the crazy character that we've had in the past. It's like as if they're kind of going, but this was someone that abused him as a kid, so he's able to do all of this abuse back on him. He's trying to feed him bleach, effectively, before shooting him in the head with a gun, and then he tells Bruce, when I was a kid and abused by him, nobody ever stepped in. Thanks, to Bruce, uh, when Bruce arrives to stop this beating that's going on or stop this abuse that's going on in Jerome. So it's quite interesting to have a little moment with Jerome where you hear about his past, firstly, and secondly, that the beatings were relentless when he was a child as well. I think that's quite interesting, a nice a nice touch for Jerome uh, to get a little bit more about who he is. Because uh, over and over again, what we've seen with Jerome is the craziness creeps in. Even the first episode that he appeared in, we saw the rug being pulled out from under us when we realise he is the murderer, he is the killer, he has the craziness already in him. Just so much inherent craziness here. And it, it really just comes spewing out in, in this diner. Um, and again, we see then he gets this information from his mm. uncle Zach. And you are kind of going, okay, who is at the school of saint ignatius and there's a reference in this where he goes she picked it and presumably is that his mother maybe his auntie or or who was this woman that picked the school of saint ignatius presumably a boarding school where someone unknown is residing but is it a teacher is it a pupil is it uh, some kind of other worker at the school? It's really interesting to kind of know who is at the school of St. Ignatius. In our show notes, I have underlined theory time at this moment. It really <laughs> is theory time. We have been told that Jerome Velasca, for every season since season one, he is not the Joker. So I have a feeling that this is his brother, where his mother left his twin brother or potentially his cousin who is 
the son of Zach, potentially, was put uh, into the school of St. Ignatius. So uh, I have a feeling we do have another J in the family of uh, of Jerome. And there may be a crazy family trait that runs through this family. Because mm-hmm. in fairness, Uncle Zach was pretty nuts as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, okay, on the face of it, upstanding member of the business local business community um serving cops and punters alike with you know sunny side up eggs and some rashes of bacon and stacks of pancakes but beneath that bubbling beneath the surface of this green soup was a bit of a psychopath as well. So it looks here as though there is a bit of a family trait in the Velasca family. Yeah. Uh, that actually, they're all slightly nuts. Yes. So presumably whoever is there has been put there to insulate them from this nuttiness. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, or take them away from it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do like that John calls out that, that when they were kids, they tried to break into uh, Zach's kitchen and he took Jerome's hand, put it into boiling hot chicken broth, and then made him eat the soup. So that gave me a little bit of speculation. And Bill Meeks, if you're still listening from Legends of Gotham, you might like my speculation because, <laughs> look, it's not exactly the same. And it's not the same name as the character from the comic books, but he is using condiments, utensils to attack his victims. <laughs> is Zack... Jerome's uncle? Is Zach Jerome's uncle the condiment king or Gotham's version of the condiment king, John? He could be. <laughs> I was waiting for him to shoot out some ketchup and yeah. some mustard attacking Jerome. A squirt of fiery mustard into the eye mm-hmm. can disable any attacker. Yeah. A, a selection of hot chili sauces within the the clothing of an adversary will make them go running to hospital immediately, take them out of the picture. Yeah. So he could be a condiment king. <laughs> he certainly is a condiment king in his own right, in that he buys plenty of condiments yes. for his diner. Yes, yes. Not anymore, unfortunately. He does take a bullet to the head in this episode. Yes. But if we were going to get a condiment king, this would have been the moment, really, wouldn't it? Yes, I think so. Soup to the face, boiling soup to the face, mm-hmm. a ribeye to the the gut, you know, all manner of things. A barrel of cabbages dropped from a, an unholy height uh, definitely would disarm any foe. No, that's the vegetable king. John. Oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to the scene at the diner. Um, I do love that Bruce is really able to handle himself against Lunk, the, the uh, strong man from the circus. That's really good because he has to have moments where he's overpowered by people that look far more powerful and far more capable than him. He's not winning the fight as such, but he's keeping himself alive until we see the arrival of Selena with her whip and toe as she takes the uh, the gun from Jerome's hands. Oh, a great moment that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loved her taking the gun out of Jerome's uh, hand. And unlike Bruce, is willing to go after someone that she sees as a threat. And she, you know, again, she pulls this out to say, you should have gone after him because, yeah, as we said before, the absolute opposite of what Bruce wanted to happen, happened. Jerome is again free and escaped and, and running and in the wind on the streets of Gotham. He is at large again. And I think, you know, she really is kind of saying you need to like actually do what you want to do here yeah um and it's you know it is being driven by bruce's 
feelings of failure of not dispatching Jerome when he could have done in the mirrored hall at the circus. Mm. Potentially. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not... You know, he had the opportunity with um, some of the mirrored glass uh, ready to kill him and he decided against it again. Is there an element here where he doesn't want to do that? He doesn't want to have those feelings, uh, but actually maybe it was the right thing to do. And it's certainly what Selena was looking to do. She gets a shot off and she tries to shoot him again. Again, in that moment, Bruce races to stop Selena from shooting and almost seemingly runs past Jerome who escapes out the door. And I do think if I had been Bruce, I would have tried to have stopped Jerome because hopefully then Selena would not fire whilst I was there. And then you could take him back to Arkham. So I, I did wonder whether that felt right in a sense, but I did like the reasons for it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's more important for Bruce that he protects Selena from going down the path that he went down after killing Raish. Uh, that that is has been the arc of, of Bruce for the last season and a half. He killed someone and therefore he went down this path where he pushed everybody away from him. He was in a deep, deep spiral. So this moment when, when Selena is about to kill Jerome rather than protect him or rather than take him back into custody, as you say, that is the worst thing that could happen to Bruce because it is his closest friend about to take a step beyond what he would ever be willing to do again. So we have seen the creation of Bruce Wayne who doesn't kill the villain, regardless of what the outcome is, but it's really important, as has always been the case with the Batman character. If he doesn't kill someone, that means they may be, may be out in the streets in the future and may endanger lives. Does that mean that he has to turn into the killer to stop them endangering lives? That's where the essential question always comes from Batman not being a killer, I suppose. So uh, so I like they've kept this here. Obviously, they, Definitely, will, they yeah. will continue to keep this. But the point from Bruce running across the room to stop Selina is that it's actually more important that he stops her killing someone than it is him catching Jerome. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm that I'm totally on board. I think maybe it was just with the setup of where these characters were. If Bruce had been flung the other side of the diner by Lunk or something during the fight, and mm. then Selena comes in and, and rescues him by d- whipping out the, the pistol from Jerome's hand and then tries to shoot him and Bruce could have lifted it and moved him away and you could run out the door. I think it was the fact that you were having to run past Bruce, in effect, and Bruce run past Jerome, past the doorway, in order to stop Selena yeah. kill. So, but absolutely agree, you know, Bruce, I think, has learned his lesson about the death of people uh, and, and murdering them, and that that's not the road he wants to go down yeah. after his encounter with Rachel Ghoul, mm-hmm. um, which we will come to in a moment. But before that... The interesting thing that we get here then is that, in fact, Jerome, Jervis and Scarecrow, whilst they have gone off and done different things, are not doing it separately from one another. Mm -hmm. This is a plan, a combined plan. Jervis Tetch is the red herring. He is the one keeping the GCPD occupied, Jim occupied, whilst Jerome gets this bit of information from his uncle and whilst Jonathan Crane... The Scarecrow is off getting his fear toxin, Ooh, yes. which he uses to um, 
release Jervis Tetch from captivity from the back of the GCPD van. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Did you notice we got our new Jonathan Crane scarecrow outfit at the end of this episode as well, John? We did Looking indeed. Very cool. Yeah. Looking very like something from uh, the Nolan films uh, and even the Arkham games, actually. Some really, really cool seeing the brand new costume for our brand new scarecrow in the show. Definitely. So, as we mentioned, once again, releasing Jerome back into the city has had consequences for Bruce Wayne. If if Bruce had stopped them, if Celine had shot him, then perhaps Jervis wouldn't be free in the city. Perhaps Jonathan Crane would have gone off on his own. But by Bruce releasing him back into the city, more consequences. Yes, but not only do we get our evil Holy Trinity escape from Arkham, we see, as you say, the new... Skirker outfit, but we also moving on to our case note five, we see a new person in Barbara Keen in Babs. She is the demon's head, and she will command the League of Shadows. I totally wanted you to do your brain impression there, John. I am the League of Shadows. <laughs> I now no longer want you to do your brain impression, John. <laughs> Absolutely. Um <laughs> I think I went a little squeaky. Uh, Tom Hardy, no doubt, would headbutt me for <laughs> that impersonation. You have been watching too much of uh, Peaky Blinders as well. I think I may have done, <laughs> yes. Um, but certainly, um, I love this coming together in in Babs's memory. She's been trying to resist it, and this has been the cause of all the pain, the, the headaches, the migraines that she thought she was having. And Tabitha is the one, ultimately, that releases her here to say, confront it. You know, you're wondering what's going on. You mm-hmm. wonder what happened to you. And yet maybe these implanted memories that you feel that you have in her will be able to tell you and, and it will stop the pain. Why don't you try and access them? And with this comes the revelation that, in fact, she is the new demon's head um, and the League of Shadows are being called by this beacon of light emanating from her hands. I love that it's Tabitha that calls her head and she's brutal about it. She's going, you're not the Barbara that I know. The Barbara that I know wouldn't let anything stand in her way let alone pain. That's nothing to you. <laughs> and I love that the flashback that she has in her head to give her all this information about race bringing her back to life kind of conveniently leaves out the fact that it was Tabitha that electrocuted her in the first place. She just starts at the point that she's being electrocuted. And it's not showing Tabitha on the other side of the room laughing maniacally as she finally kills Barbara for killing Butch, who has also returned from the dead. But... I just like that moment that it's Tabitha that talks her back into it, but they decide not to show us the moment that she was killed by that at uh, that final confrontation and showdown between Tabitha and Babs. Yeah, you don't see the final showdown between the two of them, but you do see her getting electrocuted. Yeah, exactly. And you see then Rachel Ghoul taking up Babs's body, mm-hmm. laying her down and giving her some of the Lazarus water and resurrecting her with the promise with the prophecy that she will become the demon's head that they are both cut from the same cloth yes. they are both understood but that they are both ruthless mm-hmm. in the pursuit of what they want yeah really interesting pointing out that there has been no female leader of the league of shadows uh, this version in gotham really has been led by Rachel Ghoul since he was brought back from the dead I think it was 2,000 years ago, wasn't it, when we saw that back in, in one of the earlier episodes? He's been the leader of the League of Shadows for many, many years. 
he's now dead and she is the first person taking over from him. There have been leaders before him uh, previous to that, but never a female leader. We have seen the League of Shadows over on the Arrowverse. It's quite a central part of some of the earlier seasons of Arrow, um, where Talia al Ghul was a leader of the League of Shadows. So they've had a female leader over on over on the Arrowverse. But we know they're not connected to Gotham, but just quite interesting to, to point out the, the connections between those characters as well. Yeah, and we finally also then see the League of Shadows arrive. Yes. And then get slaughtered by the ladies of the League. And I have to say, I did love uh, Bab saying, well, there's not much of a league now, um, <laughs> which was really, really funny. But the sisters of the league said they are only the tip of the spear and yes. that more will flock to them. That under the banner of Babs, with Tabs by her right-hand side, with the sisters of the league. Um, so this is really shaping up to be pretty cool, I yeah, think. I really enjoyed that moment, as, as the sisters say. It is the mission of the League of Shadows to call weakness. And you, as our new leader, have just called out all the men in the room as being weak. So we slaughtered them. Uh, but yeah, it did absolutely make me laugh when uh, when Barbara said, you've given me an army and now they're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. Great moment. And finally, we get our proper answer to what happened to uh, to Babs when she got that transference from Rachel Ghoul. So she has been bequeathed the League of Shadows. I don't know still, does that mean is he still inside her or is it just that he's passed this mantle on top of her with these memories. So uh, it'd be really interesting to find out. And again, another huge change from being the alcoholic socialite that she was back in season one of Gotham for Barbara Keane. Great to see these moves for the character. Really, really cool. Definitely. I think we can move on to our notes. Are there any notes for this episode of Gotham? I only have one note for this episode of Gotham. Just that moment when Harvey and Jim are having their big talk over the uh, the whiskey that is being poured out uh, from the filing cabinet where Harvey keeps it. Uh, just like a squirrel during winter who keeps nuts to keep them going, Harvey always stashes some whiskey to keep himself going. Uh, I like that moment that Harvey calls out, um, feet of clay are heavy to carry around. That's what the whiskey's for. Is this a reference to Jim formerly being Clayface? Or is he Clayface now? Or is he Clayface now? Yes, maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know where Clayface is. We don't. He's certainly still around. Um, but where is he? Mm-hmm. And who is he impersonating? That would be fun to see him back as Jim. He was a fab yeah. uh, as his, in those moments. Um, really, really good stuff. That's my only note for the episode that we've already talked about. The other notes that we have, John, do you have any other ones? No, I don't. But my Gotham moment of the week mm is unfortunately the wedding crasher or maybe not um i have to say i thought it was just really really good um it's not what i was expecting i was expecting that double jeopardy what to do where to go who to save um and yeah it just fell on them (laughs) it was a real real shocking surprise and just like jim and just like you john it was that moment where you're going, oh, they've kind of done this before. Kind of interesting that he's setting it all back up in place again, setting the dominoes back up like he did. Oh, he's not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who is your Gotham character of the week? Or do we have another Gotham character of the week? I think it's Uncle Zack. I think mm-hmm. you really got a sense that he was a bit crazy in this. And I, I liked how he played it. You know, up against Jerome, that's that's big acting chops to act with. And for um, a character that, what, for four seasons is on for maybe 10 minutes mm-hmm. uh, and really having to deliver like an 
intrinsic part of the storyline here with the knowledge of the school of saint ignatius um he really put across that he had abused jerome that actually was more malevolent than what we thought he was going to be right at the start where you know jerome's got him at gunpoint so you kind of think he is the the victim here and he is but you realize that it's not all black and white here and i think again it just adds to that complexity of jerome that he's crazy and he's crazy as anything but it's gone past having any sympathy for him but he's had a bad childhood yes yeah you know Uh, but he's gone way too far to be mended in that sense absolutely yeah really good character of the week uh, obviously we tend not to choose the big major character of the week of course this is jervis tetch's episode great to see him back great to see that he's actually doing a bit of a half arsed plan just to keep jim interested and keep the gcpd away from what's going on with jerome and with scarecrow so it's quite interesting if he had succeeded in killing hundreds and hundreds of people in gotham what would that have done what would there have been a huge effect on jim or not but it was just a diversionary tactic. Nice nice choice in this episode. John, how would you rate this episode of Gotham? I would give this five squashed bridal couples out of five. Get in there. Three for three, Ben McKenzie. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really liking it when Ben uh, McKenzie takes on the reins of uh, whether it's writing or as a director. And I think here, again, a huge huge amount to do a little twist at the end seeing that these three villains that have escaped from gotham aren't going their separate ways even though it looks like that's what they're doing you kind of thought that their whole plan together was just to escape from arkham Mm. and then in the end you see them coming back together and you have the intrigue of saint ignatius You've got Scarecrow fully powered up now with his fear toxin. And again, you have some really great moments um, between uh, Jim and Harvey in terms of their continued sort of reconciliation from their big spat, as well as having Bruce still very much on a journey of learning. And then this time from Selena, Mm -hmm. who comes to the rescue to save him. I just thought it was really, really good. I love Jervis Tetch. Just his whole demeanor is so, so well done um, and absolutely loved him in this. Scarecrow as well, one of my favorites. We didn't see too much of him in this episode, mm-hmm. but you know he's going to play a big part. Jerome, again, wild, crazy. And I, I think, again, the, the his uncle's diner, all that moment in there with his uncle Zach, with Selena, with Lunk, with Bruce... And with Jerome, it's a really great scene. And Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of intrigue here going on. You know, Harvey and Jim think they've saved the day here. But this is only one part in a much bigger plan, which we will have play out over the next six episodes. And I'm really, really looking forward to it being big, grand and absolutely nutty. Yeah. And can I also say the choice of the writers and Ben McKenzie for this episode as the director to not have this be just Jerome's episode. It was a great choice. He has got great scenes in there, as always. Cameron Monaghan is fantastic, but this isn't the Jerome show, it's the Gotham show, and the more they choose to have many stories going on, other things going on around the Jerome character, or even have Jerome as a kind of a side character in some of the scenes, dealing with some of the other characters like Bruce and Selina, 
that's the best choice for the show, really, for me. Uh, I really like that you're able to have such other big characters in there surrounding Jerome and not be overtaken by, by him in the episode. But really good to see Cameron and back on air and all of the other villains and all the other heroes. Really good stuff. Uh, let's get into our feedback for the episode, John. Yes, over on Twitter, where you can find us at Gotham TV Podcasts, John Hammond goes, another great episode of the show. What always impresses me about Gotham is that there is always so much that is going on Mm -hmm. with many different characters and the writers, directors ensure that each episode runs seamlessly. Quite something when you consider. This episode was no different. So much going on, but fit it into 45 or so minutes without seeming like it was too much. And that is a credit to those involved completely agree with you john on this uh, i think there was almost a revelatory moment to me uh, when i realized that what gotham does so well is this ensemble use of characters in episodes with multiple storylines intersecting and with a grand storyline going uh, overhead uh, and being weaved through all these different uh, other character stories some of them personal some of them for that episode in particular and others that connect into the larger series story that is being done and that's when i realized that they really do ensemble very well and i think it came when i watched an episode where really they just focused on one person and there was an element to me where i wanted to know what was happening to penguin it it keeps things really vibrant And really, really good. So Mm -hmm. definitely agree with you there. John goes on to say, great to see certain characters return. Great action. Great performances. Ben McKenzie and Donal Logue in particular. A nice surprise and a real piece of emotion that I don't mind admitting brought a lump to my throat and a tear to my eye. Fantastic direction from Ben McKenzie. So yeah, fantastic again. Completely agree with you, John. Thanks so much for that, John. Great to hear from your thoughts. Again, as John mentioned, we're over on Twitter at Gotham TV Podcast. Over on YouTube, Princess Kagayaki says, love your podcast. I have to agree about Lee Tompkins. To me, the choice to have her pretty much save Jim saves her from being charged with murdering as it was to save his life. I feel like the idea with Lee is vigilantism, which is why she would help Batman later. I would have had to wonder if she would have hesitated or confronted Sophia, but since Jim was in danger, shooting her didn't seem that bad. I feel like they intentionally kept the blood off of Lee's hands. Not that I'm saying intent doesn't matter, but at the same time, they didn't have to shoot Sophia in cold blood murder. And you see why she smashes Samson's hand. It's out of justice for how the people of the Narrows are being treated. It's anger, not sadism, which to me says they wanted to keep her integrity and stay away from straying too far into the villain territory. Just my opinion on it, but I think they had Lee shoot Sophia, but not kill her, even though she intended to. But I'm doubtful that she would have been able to shoot Sophia cold blood murder if she just met up at Sophia's house the way Penguin was planning on doing yeah thanks so much for that feedback I can get what you mean mean by that it's a good idea to have it as a defensive move I suppose for Lee so she isn't seen as a villain um understandable I think we were just more surprised that Sophia was alive after the shooting because it seemed like a dead center of the head shot yeah and I but I like the idea that you say about keeping her integrity she is a doctor and I think absolutely just seeing her extract anger on Samson. He's still alive, but now he knows not to undermine her in the Narrows again. It's a brutal form of justice, but it's one that in the Narrows, that seems to make sense, where it's this 
gang and and hood mentality going on where they will stick together but stab one another in the back and i think here she is again making her stamp she thought she could do it with samson by appealing to his reason and the fact of her goodwill and she has been betrayed by that so she's just gone up a level here yeah um, and taken out his ability to write a letter ever again <laughs> or maybe use a mobile phone and so i complain I, to his congressman anymore no John. absolutely so i really think you know there is an element of maintaining her integrity here especially when you consider that sophia is not dead yeah definitely thanks so much for that princess kagiaki yeah thank you so much we also have some Facebook feedback in for the episode as well. Remember, you can just head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Gotham TV podcast. Charlotte Bain goes, hi, guys. OMG. So one of my three soups is about Jerome being abused by his uncle, pouring that boiling hot soup on him. Well, that's one of the reasons why he's psycho. Mm -hmm. Jervis and his hypnotic and murderous way of rhyming is a madman or hatter. (laughs) Scarecrow and Jervis are buddies. I definitely don't want to fall into their hands. It's great seeing Jim and Harvey together. They can't do without each other. I'm glad Jim apologized for being judgmental to Harvey, though. Bruce and Selina, I love them. Selina saving him pre-Catwoman and Batman was touching. Barbara has powers. She is the demon's head. She is a badass woman with the Women's League of Shadows as assassins. I am so excited about what's going to happen in the following episodes. I am loving it. Thanks so much, guys, for the podcast. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much, Charlotte, for that. You're awesome, Charlotte. You you. are, absolutely. It's really nice to get that feedback on the episode as well as uh, for the podcast. So, yeah, it's really good to see that coupling of Skirker and Jervis uh, as well as then having the lone wolf that is Jerome. Um, It's almost a bit like Jerome is the person who eats uncouthly from the front of the soup bowl, whereas Jervis and Jonathan Crane will daintily use their more refined approach uh, to eating the soup from the back of the bowl. And fellow Gothamites, John is motioning the action of eating the soup from the back <laughs> of the bowl. I never knew that was a thing, so I'm obviously an uncouth Jeromeite. Thanks so much for that, Charlotte. We also got some feedback from Caroline Wells. She says, always, always, always love it when villains are together, and it's even better when they acknowledge that they are villains. That's why Almost Got Him is one of my favourite Batman animated series episodes. Excellent episode. Good. Yeah. Yeah, really good episode. Good call there, Caroline. And even if the anger towards Jim was staged or not, I kind of don't blame Jervis for being pissed. Well, technically, he didn't escape from Arkham. He was kidnapped, and during that time, he didn't do anything illegal. Interesting. And he sustained a nearly lethal injury during that time by an officer. And even though he didn't have much screen time, I did enjoy Scarecrow and his polite but odd repartee with Tetch. Yes, again, I think it's a really interesting little odd couple, as you say. And as Charlotte pointed out, between Tetch and Scarecrow, I really can't wait to see how uh, two of my favourite characters maybe develop uh, over the course of these last six episodes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I sometimes certainly don't blame Jervis for how he likes to focus in on Jim Gordon. Yes, yes, and... Fellow Gothamites, if you haven't seen the episode Almost Got Him from Batman the Animated Series, check it out. A good call there from Caroline. We have a little bit of voicemail feedback from Claire Payne. 
Yes, you can send in your voicemail by heading on over to gothamtvpodcast.com and clicking on the right-hand tab on the side of the computer screen, uh, and you can leave up to 90 seconds of your thoughts uh, on Gotham. So please head on over and leave a voicemail. Or you could do what Claire did and send us two and we'll stitch them together if 90 seconds is enough, especially when the episodes are as good as they are for Gotham. We don't mind doing that at all. Take it away, Claire. What an intense episode. It was gripping until the end. The mood and pace of this episode was brilliant and Ben McKenzie has proved again that he's a great director. I like it when an episode starts with Arkham Asylum and a huge bonus when you see the return of Jervis Tetch. I have two favourite characters this week, Mr Crane and Mr Tetch. Even though they are working with Jerome, there was an amazing friendship and charm between them. Scarecrow's new costume, which we saw towards the end of the episode is even more sinister and impressive and to be honest I would not have known it was a different actor inside the costume. Jerome doesn't doesn't disappoint, certainly interesting to see who he's looking for and having a family connection in Gotham City. Hearing his history with his uncle and how he put his hand in a pot of boiling hot chicken stock. Bruce pretending to be upset and scared that Jerome was on the loose in front of Detective Harper was funny and a great distraction while Selina found Velasquez's file. An interesting conversation between Selina and Bruce in the car with Selina. She thinks that Bruce's ego is already big enough without having to go after Jerome. After being ejected from Bruce's car, Selina turns up to help Bruce at the diner and now Selina is known to Jerome. Barbara finally confirmed as the demon's head and a great twist on the League of Shadows. The men that stood before Barbara were weak and the ladies are strong. I really liked how Barbara actually went and did research to understand what had been happening to her since Raish passed his powers to her. Favourite scene has to be when Jim is at the radio station trying to stop hundreds of people from jumping off the rooftops, including Harvey. By saying save each other broke the hypnotic spell to the relief of, of Jim and the waiting officers at the GCPD. A fantastic end to the episode when Jerome and Scarecrow rescue Mad Hatter and Jerome is in his new threads. Favourite line is from Jerome. When I say three hairs past a freckle, gentlemen, I do not mean five hairs past. Let's do better next time. Thank you very much, Claire. Thanks so much, as always, for that feedback, Claire. Really good to hear your thoughts on the episode. Uh, yeah, we forgot to kind of mention specifically, but yes, David W. Thompson has joined Gotham as the actor who, playing Jonathan Crane. We had talked about it in the past that Charlie DeHaan unfortunately couldn't come back for the show. He's got tons of other stuff going on, and this show kind of looks for an actor that can come in and out for two or three episodes a season. So unfortunately, Charlie DeHaan wasn't able to come back. David Thompson's doing a pretty good job, though, behind that mask, right? Yeah, and I mean, the fact now that he is, you know, behind the mask, then in that sense, it's about the performance covered up. And and in that sense, you know, he's giving a really good portrayal of uh, the Scarecrow mm. in the same way that Charlie Tehan did. So that's really good. I don't ever suspect that we will see Scarecrow's mask taken off again. Uh, maybe I will be proven wrong, of course. Cut but, to next week. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> but I do think... You know, um, we've we've had um, cast changes before, as mm-hmm. we we've shared on this podcast. But I think you know, at this moment, very little to go on. But certainly, it feels consistent, it, and it feels right for the show and for the character. 
in the way that Scarecrow is being portrayed here now by David Thompson. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, loved that moment of introduction from as Jerome arrives, uh, talking about the time with no watch on his arm. Uh, a nice little gag from from Jerome. He always has some great lines, really, doesn't he, in the, in the show. He always has some really interesting ones. I love the moment when he's pointing the gun at Bruce going, thank you, Bruce. What would be funnier? Would it be that you save me and then I kill you? Or would it be that... You saved me from Lunkhead, <laughs> and then I kill him, the man that you saved me from. Yes, that would be funnier. Uh, I like those little moments where he has the external dialogue, I suppose. Yeah, so. and just the fact that he is the, in the diner laughing his ass off um, for such a long time, uh, whilst Bruce and Lunk are still fighting it out, uh, is just hilarious. Because, I mean, he is. He's in fits of giggles. Uh, laughing manically, uh, just so, so, so good. Yes, yes. Really good stuff. Thanks so much for that, Claire, and thanks so much for all of the feedback. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Claire, for the voicemail. It's really good to hear your thoughts, um, and thank you as well to everyone who's left feedback on this episode and any episode of Gotham. I think we should record later next week, John, and every week from now on, because we always seem to get loads of feedback in after the episode has aired a couple of days after. But not every episode is as big as this one as well. So uh, great to hear your thoughts. We'll be recording again on Saturday. So uh, if you've watched the episode on Thursday night, send in your thoughts and we'll include them in the next episode. Absolutely. If you want to listen to our thoughts or indeed your own thoughts voiced by us or indeed voiced by yourself, then please listen, subscribe, rate and leave a review of Gotham TV podcast on the podcast catcher of your choice, whether that be good or evil. You can just head on over to GothamTVPodcast.com and go to any of the subscribe areas on there and search Gotham TV podcast. And once you've done all that, we will be back next week with Gotham, A Dark Knight, Season 4, Episode 17, Mandatory Brunch Meeting. Um, So, yes, (laughs) I like it. Hopefully it's Eggs Benedict. Yum, yum. Although knowing Gotham, it's probably poisoned eggs for Benedict, maybe. Yes, I think so. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again next time. Yes, absolutely. As always, thank you so much for listening. It has been a pleasure. I'm going to ditch this weirdo. He's been giving me the heebie-jeebies all through this podcast. Uh, Not really. Obviously, I don't mean that. Um, And we will speak with you again soon. Bye. Your ego is huge. (laughs) No. Bye. Thanks for being a Butch supporter. Butch loves you, baby.